0: If you'll turn with me in your copy of God's Word to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4, we're still in our series through 1 John, uh, continuing through that. Um, we will have at some point in time a, more of a dedication service uh, where we'll have some more special things, but today we're continuing through the series. Uh, as we continue, we believe that the Word of God is powerful and, and active, and so we continue through where we've been, and so First John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, um, just follow along with me, please. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. And we'll do this for the first, uh, first time in a while, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and let's say thanks be to God. So this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this word, and we ask that your spirit would guide and strengthen Lord. that your spirit would fill me, and that I would be able to preach with clarity and truth. Lord, may the words fall on ears ready to hear on hearts soft to listen and to receive the truth. Lord, we need your work by your Spirit to know your Word and to understand it. So we pray that your Spirit would do that today, be at work in our lives. We pray for your glory and for our good and joy. In Christ's name, amen. So what, what do you think when you hear these names that I'm going to read off? And, and some of you may have never heard of some of them, and that's okay. Or maybe try and think, uh, what, what do these names maybe have in common? Play a little little game in your head, like try and think through, what, what, what do some of these have in common? First one, many of you probably will never have heard of, Serenthus, Arius, Marcion. Uh, I'll move a little more modern, Jim Jones, Charles Manson. Marshall Applewhite, David Koresh, Marshall Applewhite was Heaven's Gate, if anyone wondered. David Koresh, and and let's go more modern yet. Joel Osteen, Kenneth Copeland, T.D. Jakes, Brandon Robertson. And sadly, I could keep going. So what is it that they all have in common? It's that they claimed, those who were dead, they claimed, or those living, or claim now to teach truth, and yet rather they teach falsehood. And it's not that everything that they've ever said was false, but that they have held to erroneous teaching that undermines the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hopefully we can recognize that, because we need to recognize it. The simple truth truth is this. Not all claims to spiritual truth or spiritual insight are equally valid. They are not. Just because someone sounds sincere, or they are nice and personable, or, or many people listen to them, maybe they have a big following, that doesn't guarantee anything. They can actually be sincerely and horrendously wrong. So we have to know how to discern the validity of what people teach. See, John ran into that problem among the early church, just as we continue to run into it today. It's not always going to be the same issue, though, that we run into. If it were, that that would be easy. We could teach one thing and, and everybody would be good, but it's different. And so we have to have informed discernment. It is always required for us to have informed discernment. Now, to get us to where we are in the text today, though, I want us to look back just one verse to chapter 3, verse 23, actually two verses back, where John wrote this, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Now, this is, this is where John is coming out of. This is the flow of the text, and there he rephrased, in many ways, the first and second, the, the, the great commandments, Okay, what we know is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he did so by saying this, believe in the name of Jesus, of his son Jesus Christ, and love one another. And so what we're moving into now is further development of the first part of that command in 4, 1 to 6, and then the second part, a love one another, he's going to deal with in 7 through 21 of chapter 4. So this morning, we're diving into those first six verses of chapter 4. In these verses, he gives us some guidelines, not not an exhaustive way about this, but some guidelines on how we are to discern discern truth from error. Two basic ideas, two basic ideas, two points. First, look at the content of the message, and second, the character of the messenger. So the content of the message is, and the character of the messenger. This is, again, it's not all that's involved in discerning truth from error, but this is a good basic structure for us to think about as we look at what John lays out for us. So let's look at the content. The way John begins this passage, again, reminds us of his care and affection for his readers. At, at the same time, it serves to grab attention. When he starts off, beloved, beloved, Dear friends, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. When he says, beloved, he's he's kind of yelling in in a loving way, dear friends, please listen. Please listen to what I have to say. What he's about to write is vitally important, and he gives us two commands. The first command is this, do not believe every spirit. Quite simply with that, we are not to take what everyone says wholeheartedly and believe it. Lock, stock, and barrel. We are not to do that. Discernment is not only required, but it's actually commanded here. We are to be wise and perceptive and prudent in how we receive information and how we receive claims to truth. In one sense, folks, this is a command against gullibility. It's a command against being gullible. We are not to be naive or simple-minded in our faith. I love what John Stott wrote. He said, Neither Christian believing nor Christian loving is to be indiscriminate. In particular, Christian faith is not to be mistaken for credulity. True faith examines its object before reposing confidence in it. If you were to go on a a flight, a trip, and you went out there and the plane had one wing, I would dare say, don't get on it. Do not repose your confidence in a plane with one wing. Okay, make sure things are airworthy. And so do not put your confidence in a claim that is not worthy to be listened to. The Christian faith, folks, is not a non thinking faith. It is not a non critical faith in the sense that there is to be very careful judgment and evaluation of claims to truth. We don't simply believe or place our faith in anything. Then there's a second commandment. He says, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now, you can keep your finger there if you want to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, The Apostle Paul gives a similar, um, similar statement here. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 19 to 22. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Paul and John are really on the same page. Now listen to this, though. They are not against belief. Some people will take, test the spirits, test it. And they're saying, don't believe anything. That's not what they're saying. They're saying, test it. Okay, they, they are for faithful and right belief, not gullible belief. They're for wisdom. Paul wrote, don't despise what is said. Don't despise it, but test it. Be wise. Hold fast what is good. What is good? the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what is of first importance. Know it well and hold tightly to it. Now, we don't fully know the context into which John wrote, but I think it's very likely that he's dealing with claims of the secessionists, those who were part of the church in a sense, and, but then went out from them and showed that they weren't of them and, and some of their claims. But he might as well be um, dealing with what happens in a, in a, would happen in a worship service sometime, people would stand up and say they have a word from the Lord or something along those lines, and they'd prophesy. they say, test those. Test those. Don't believe everything. Test it. If someone speaks something that is inconsistent with the knowledge of God and of abiding in God, of the gospel, then don't follow it. Don't believe it. Here's what we must grasp. Folks, everyone is a mouthpiece of some spirit. Okay, everyone is a mouthpiece of some spirit. We must test and discern what that spirit is. John's readers and we need to clearly grasp that not everything that is done or said by someone who professes to be a believer in Jesus is actually of God. Now, when John writes, test the spirits, the word spirit, it I think it might be helpful to think of it in the way of that, that it's speaking of the, this energizing or, or motivating impulse behind someone's behavior and words. So w- what is driving us? And that could either be the Holy Spirit or the spirit of this world. Okay, it's the Holy Spirit or the spirit of this world. And sincerity, sincerity or niceness does not matter in this test. Okay, just because maybe somebody's good-looking and they, you know, they, they, they seem like a nice person, so it's probably good. No, that's not what this test is about. Because no matter how sincere a false prophet may be, and, and there are some that aren't sincere at all, they're just utterly insincere, and you can spot that a mile away, but they speak falsely because they aren't speaking the truth about God and his word, and we need to be careful. Now, why is this testing important? Why does John write of this? Why does he take time here in the letter? Well, because it's needed. Look at the rest of the text. It says, For many false prophets have gone out into the world. For many. But John's not the only one who's warned of this. Matthew 7.15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Matthew 24, 11, And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Mark 13, For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Or 2 Peter 2, 1, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Because I read all those to show the prevalence of the false teachers. We have to know that they're out there. We have to know that this is is something that is not only could happen, but is likely to happen. It is happening in the church today. We ought to take heed. So then what is the test? What is the test that we are given? How are we to discern? Look at verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. So in many ways, this aspect of the test is we test the truth by what's confessed. By what's confessed. There was apparently some level of confusion among the readers as to who to follow, um, in John's day, and so John points to a convictional level issue, okay, one that is of conviction. You have to hold this, and that's the nature of Jesus. John reminds them here of the necessity of the recognition of the incarnation of Jesus Christ for the true knowledge of God, because the Word became flesh specifically to reveal the otherwise invisible God. Therefore, everyone who has a true knowledge of God acknowledges. That Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That is, the Son of God became a human being. This is fundamental. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. And, And folks, the Spirit of God will also always honor the Son. Will always honor the Son. Will always teach truth. So the test is in relation to what is confessed about Jesus. And what John writes is that one must confess again that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now, that may sound fairly simplistic at this point in time, but there's actually some very significant implications from this. When John writes, has come, when he uses that language, that doesn't merely address some historical reality, that there was a historical Jesus that was born and lived, but more so that he came with a purpose. He was sent he came to redeem by his incarnation, by his life, by his death, by his resurrection and ascension. The phrase implies Christ's full mission to save. When you see it in the Gospels, particularly in John, when he says, my time has not yet come or I have come, he's speaking of his full mission, his mission to save. It's his active and passive obedience on behalf of sinners like you and me. Yet at the same time, it does refer to, to Christ being Jesus in the flesh. The Christ is Jesus of Nazareth in the flesh. The second person of the Trinity took on flesh in order to save sinful flesh. And very possibly, some of what these secessionists taught was what is known as docetism. It's from a Greek word, "dokeo," which means to seem or to appear. That Jesus only appeared to be in flesh. He, it only seemed like he was in flesh, but he really wasn't. It was merely an illusion, And that viewpoint absolutely destroys the orthodox and biblical view of salvation and creation. You know, how could Christ represent humanity in the atonement if he only seemed to be flesh? How could he reveal to us God in human form if he only appeared to be flesh? So that's the positive side of the test. The Spirit must confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. But then there's the negative, which really follows very closely from this. If the Spirit does not confess Jesus, and we ought to supply, John just doesn't at this point in time, because it's implied that, you know, that does not confess Jesus come in the flesh, that Spirit is not from God. Folks, there have been tests of those who claim to speak on behalf of God throughout Israel's history. Throughout the history of belief in many ways. Deuteronomy 13 Verses 1 through 4. If a prophet or dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice and you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. Sounds a lot like what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians, doesn't it? Hold fast what is good. Hold fast to God. Just because something amazing seems to happen, but if they tell you to to run after something that's not consistent with the gospel, don't follow them. We have to hold fast to the truth. Not listen to the words of false prophets. The false prophets are the spirit of the Antichrist. That spirit is coming and is already here. We've seen it and we see it today. And it's those who are speaking by the spirit of Antichrist, that they're speaking motivated by this world, by the things of this world. Just prior in chapter 2 where John writes of the spirit of Antichrist, he talks about, um, he gives a very strong warning there in chapter 2 verses 15 and 17. I'll read it again. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's what motivates those who speak from the world, who speak the spirit of Antichrist. It's love of the world. It's love of the here and now. And so that leads us into the next section, the character of the messenger. Now, in these uh, three verses, verses 4 through 6, the way each verse begins, John is very purposeful in how he does that and how he writes it in the original. And in verse 4, the ESV doesn't bring it out exactly the way the original is. It's it's very faithful, but it, it sticks out a little bit more in the New American Standard because it starts, you are from God, little children. And have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. It begins with the pronoun you. You have, you are from God. John is very purposefully contrasting there his readers with the false prophets. He's saying, they, they are not from God. You are from God. Okay? He's he's making it very clear. He's making this very clear distinction. They, not from God. You, from God. When he says they're from God, he means that they have been born of God. The Spirit of God has regenerated them. They are children of God. The Spirit has given them life. But even beyond being from God, though, he wants them to know that they are a people who have overcome them. They've overcome the secessionists, the false prophets. Now, how did they overcome? How did they overcome? First off, they've overcome, first off and primarily... They've overcome because of Jesus, because they are in Christ, and Christ has already overcome. John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, and the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world, and because believers are in Christ, Christ is in us, we then overcome. That's the primary reason he can say, you have overcome, because Christ is in us. The one in them, the one in us, is far superior to the one in the world. His presence is mediated by the Spirit. It's Christ, though, in us, in whom we abide and whom abides in believers. Folks, listen, our spiritual security today is no different than the spiritual security of the believers in John's day. It's because we are in union with Christ. We are vitally connected to him by the Spirit, through faith. But secondly, they've shown that they have overcome because they've not been deceived. That's evidence of overcoming. They've not been deceived. They've rejected the false and heretical teaching that denies that Jesus has come in the flesh. You see, discerning who is of God and who is of not, it's 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 not really experiential. It's not, did 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 I have the liver shivers or the, the, the little goosebumps at the, the thing and, and I felt amazing? It's not that. That's not how you discern something. That can happen in a lot of situations. Okay, it's it's a cognitive belief statement about who Jesus is. It's the truth. The readers have overcome because they've remained in what they have known from the beginning. The Christian faith is not a blind faith. It is not a blind faith. There is a very important intellectual component to the Christian faith of knowing and believing the truth, what was heard from the beginning, the true gospel, the apostolic gospel, passed on through generation after generation. So then John gives another emphatic start. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. They, it's they who are not from God. They are from the world. That's their origin. That's their home and residence. It's where they find their satisfaction and fulfillment in the fleeting pleasures of the world. And so being from the world, they don't speak from God. Their words are from the world. And guess what? The world listens to them. They're from the world. They speak from the world. The world listens to them. They do not preach the cross of Christ. The incarnation and suffering of our Savior, they do not proclaim the offense of the gospel. The world will listen to them because they utilize the categories of the world. And that points to to why this is such a big deal. Okay, why does John take the time on this? You know, why do we care so much when others who claim to speak for God speak total bunk? Why do we care? Well, let me give just a few examples. The prosperity gospel, or what's known as prosperity theology. Um, the worst export America has ever done, um, and maybe the largest, um, but it's one of the worst. Conrad Mbewe is a, a pastor in Lusaka, Zambia, and he's been there since 1987. And he tells of what this is and, and why it's so bad, because it's a, it's a teaching by those who claim to know Christ, that Christ wants us primarily really to be physically healthy and materially prosperous. And in particular, the pastor. (laughs) They're going to be the most materially prosperous. It's that this life is what matters. It's that you have your best life now, not for eternity. And so that's emphasized, and one will rarely, if ever, hear a message about sin and repentance or suffering... And if you hear something about suffering, it's you suffer because you don't have enough faith. And that is so utterly damaging to the heart and soul of a believer. It negatively affects hearers. Mbewe wrote this, he said, it's like giving children sweets before a meal. You spoil their appetite for that which is truly nutritious. You tell them, God just wants you to be healthy, happy, and, and prosperous. Maybe there's a gospel. No, that's not how it works. Don't do that. The true gospel is missed here. If ever presented at all, this this whole teaching, like I said, has been exported from America to the world. Teachers like Kenneth Copeland or Joel Osteen or Benny Hinn or Robert Tilton or many others, and it blinds people's eyes to their true need. But there's another example. In Arizona recently, probably just a couple within the month An entire school district discontinued any relations with allowing student teachers from Arizona Christian University because of ACU's stance on biblical sexuality and humanity. And the school board chairwoman stated this. She said, For me, this is not a concern about Christianity. There are plenty of Christian denominations who are LGBTQ-friendly, So, I want to make it clear that for me, my pause is not that they're Christians, so much as this particular institution's strong anti-LGBTQ stance and their belief that you believe this to your core and you take it out into the world. Now, do you hear what's being said by that board chairperson? Since there's other Christians who believe this, who are fine with the whole LGBTQ revolution as, in the sense of seeing it as good, holy, and right, not as far as treating people made in the image of God with dignity and respect, which we should all do. No matter who they are, we treat everyone with dignity and respect, love, and we want to bring the gospel to them because everyone needs the gospel. So because she says that there are other Christian groups that believe this, that they can throw those who hold to biblical fidelity under the bus. And they can discount. See, the world is listening to bad teaching as what is true. Because that's what they want to hear. The world listens to darkness. Je- Jesus in John eight forty five said, Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. The world wants to listen to what's false. They want to listen to what pumps them up. And all of this impugns, especially when it's coming from those who claim Christ, it impugns the name of Christ. And it's dangerous. One of the names I mentioned in the beginning, Brandon Robertson, and there's many others, would be ones who fall in this category. Sadly, too many denominations are falling into that. Think of the Anglican church now that doesn't know what they're doing, and that now they're, they're, they're trying to make both sides of an argument happy by saying, we'll bless same-sex, same-sex unions. I don't get it. It's walking away and it's impugning the name of Christ. And this is not the, the most important thing out there, but it's an example that's in the news today that's all over the world. See, because here's the thing if someone who doesn't claim Christ spouts utter nonsense, I don't really care that much. But someone who claims Christ spouts utter nonsense, I care. Because it disparages the God I believe in, the God who has saved me, the God who who humbled himself, who condescended to become man, to, to, to incarnate, and to live a life that I couldn't live, to die the death that I absolutely deserve, to raise from the dead. They impugned that God. And we have to care about that. horrendous. It's something we have to guard against and help people to see the falsehood. That's what a good shepherd will actually do. Lead away from danger, expose the danger, and lead the sheep to good pasture. Well, then look at verse 6. Here we get another emphatic pronoun. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Here's the contrast again. They, the false teachers, the false prophets are from the world, but we, we are from God. Now the we here is not the readers per se, but actually the teachers, the true teachers, those uh, John and the true apostles, those in the apostolic uh, tradition, those who teach with biblical fidelity, those who truly know God, who, and, and those who do know God will listen to those who preach the truth, will listen to true teachers. And so here, John actually adds, in a sense, to the test. He says, if the teaching is accepted by Christians but rejected by the world, that's an indication that it's of the right spirit. Now, if it's taught by Christians and Who claim to be Christians, but then is accepted by the world again? That's something we we should say, that's probably not of the right spirit. Okay? These are indications, these are ways to test. So, what John has taught in these six verses is our need for discernment. Discerning the teaching that we hear, that you hear each Sunday and every day, test it. Is it faithful to the truth, to the gospel? So when we consider what John is stating here, it's that safety and protection from being deceived, it's found in staying true to what you heard from the beginning to the true gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it's knowing well the truth so you can recognize what's false. So some of this means that you have to know the truth well so that you have the ability to discern. And if you have questions about something, Ask those who know well, who continue to teach faithfully. You see, the adjudicator of truth has not changed. It always has been and always will be Jesus Christ. The adjudicator of truth, folks, is not, are you on the right side of history? You hear that all the time. It's not progressive theology. It's not even conservative theology. It's Jesus Christ. It's the truth of Scripture. And yes, I know that some of you might be thinking, hey, there are various denominations out there that believe different things. Yes, they do. There are things that are convictional level, the Trinity, sin, salvation, Jesus Christ come in the flesh, those things you have to believe, and I will break fellowship over that. There are other things that are persuasions that are things that I'm I strongly believe, somebody else strongly believes. It might be um, the, the recipients and mode of baptism. It might be how and what we sing. Do you use instruments? Do you not use instruments? Whatever. Those things do not delineate us away from Christianity. They're interpretations on side things, on um, in the, the non essentials, in a sense. But in the essentials, we have to have clarity. And full understanding. We stand firm on the things that are of first importance. Folks, we have to do this. We have to learn how to discern the truth. All of us do. Because here's the reality not only are there many false teachers, but your heart and my heart are prone to wander. We like the quick fix. We like the get me satisfaction now, and we are prone to wander, so we need to know when that shiny ball or whatever it is over there that you really want bad, but it's not preaching truth, we don't follow it, and we keep a long obedience in the same direction, following the true gospel. Folks, to love God well involves more than the heart. It involves our mind and our understanding more and more who God is and all that He has done for us. And my prayer is that we would discern truth well, that you would discern, that you would test what I say, that you would test whoever stands here each Sunday, that you would test what they say according to Scripture. We have to do that. Stay firm in the truth. Rest in the gospel. Hold fast what is good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your goodness, and Lord, we ask that you would would pour out your Spirit upon us, help us to know what is good and right and true. May we stand firm in that truth. May we stand firm, though, in a posture that is loving and gracious to the sheep who may be led astray and yet as firm and convictional with those who teach falsehood. Lord, give us grace to follow you in all our days. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.